I'm trying to get divorced and my soon-to-be ex's family who are billionaires are like transferring title to the home into other names and paying it off so that I would get no part of it. They're trying to make my soon-to-be ex judgment-proof so she owes $200,000 in child support and is not paying for anything and our rentals on the property generate 15 grand a month. And I was so angry, I was so angry. And this is before I really started all this studying and meditation, I was so angry. I just couldn't get past it. Like, how could this be? But I couldn't afford representation. I couldn't afford an attorney. And they had three attorneys and they were doing all this shady stuff, but they were covering it because they had attorneys and they knew I couldn't do anything about it. You know, this is four and a half years later, me telling you this story and I'm still not divorced yet. Welcome to the Daily Naked Pair Podcast, brought to you by Rocco Blue, the first ever brand focused on supporting parents with special needs children. Naked Parent Nation is a group of parents with special needs children who are willing to get vulnerable, strip it all down, and take a look at ourselves, our parenting, our family, and our plans to create a life beyond our wildest dreams. today's show, we'll be discussing part three of Chad's story. Hello, Naked Parent Nation, and welcome to today's episode of the Naked Parent Podcast. My name's Chad Ratliff, and I'm your host. Before I introduce you to myself today, let me start by sharing the Naked Parent Nation offering. Naked Parent Nation is a worldwide community of parents and professionals raising children with all kinds of needs. We come together to share our naked truths, support our fellow parents, and inspire the inner growth that each of us needs to build the life and family of our dreams. For the parents that are struggling, we want you to know that we will love you until you can love yourself. For your children, we pray and send power from our collective group. As we come to understand our divine nature, we realize that there's no need to feel sorry for ourselves, be angry, or feel lack. We come to understand that our feelings of limitation and separation are only in our minds. Through self-realization, we expand our consciousness so that the challenges that perplex us today dissipate one by one until we're able to see and experience gratitude and beauty in everything just as it is. We have the power to create any kind of life we want for ourselves and our families. We do this by living in the naked present moment one day at a time. This is the process of naked parenting. Whether this is your first step on the path or your 10th, I'd like to welcome you to Naked Parent Nation and the Naked Parent Podcast. Before we get to part three of my story, let's start by getting ourselves grounded. And lately I've been studying Wim Hof, who I highly recommend, who's very inspiring. Uh, we're going to do the Wim Hof breathing exercise. So if you want to sit up straight with your spine erect, and what we're going to do is we're going to take in as much air as possible, inhale, and then we're going to just let it exhale and relax. We're going to take in as much air as possible, inhale, and we're going to exhale and relax. We're going to do that about 10 times. And then on the last exhale, we're just going to sit calm for as long as you're comfortable. If you can do a minute, that's great. If you can do more, great. Less, that's fine. And then after you've exhale, after you've held your breath as long as possible, you're going to do another strong inhale and hold it for 10 to 15 seconds. And then exhale, relax. And that's going to be one cycle. And we'll do two or three cycles. Okay? So let's get started. Spine erect. And don't put your mind into it. Just let your mind go away. And just take in as much air as possible. Inhale. Exhale, relax. Inhale. Exhale, relax. Inhale. Inhale. 
You might start to tingle, that's okay. On the next exhale, we're just gonna let it go. And just sit there without breathing. Find that peace. Hold it for as long as you can. And then when you take that next inhale, hold it for 10 to 15 seconds. And that's one cycle. All right, let's do it again. And remember, you're gonna feel a little tingly, but stop whenever you need to. If you're pregnant, I don't think you're supposed to do this. Please be smart, check with your doctor if you're unsure. Yeah, I don't, we're not in any way able to offer medical advice, but if you'd like to do the breathing exercise with us, you're welcome. So let's begin. Exhale. On the next exhale, we're going to stop. And just sit there as long as you can hold your breath. And then in a moment, we're going to inhale and hold it for 10 to 15 seconds. Just sit in that peace for a moment. Your eyes closed, gaze lifted up to that space between your eyebrows. Just let life be right here, right now. There's a lot of benefits from Wim Hof method. I suggest you look into it, learn the science behind it, practice it, find out for yourself. It's the most important way to find out, not because somebody told you. But I wanted to introduce that to y'all, my family, and um, have it be the intro to part three today of my story where I'm excited to share the final part that brings us up to the present day and then put the story behind because I'm done with this story because it doesn't exist anymore. It's in the past. But there'll be a recording. If anybody wants to hear about it, I can just point them to the recording. If there's anything to benefit from listening to it, then all the better. Um, last time at the end of part two, I think we made it up till when I was in court facing 10 years in prison with a baby on the way and the Judge Lodge Miracle, the oldest judge on the stand in the state of California serving his 50th year on the stand, who overruled the DA, who had tons of evidence after tracking me and my operation for the past six months. Department of Defense, Gang Task Force, Meth Task Force, the Sheriff, they all were tracking what was going on. When they pulled the trigger on the raid, it was a bit of a shit show for a number of reasons. They didn't pull the trigger on the right day, and I was on my way down, so stuff was kind of messy. At any rate, the judge decides to overrule the DA, 
and gives us a chance to let this baby be a miracle baby and not become a victim of the system, which the judge said would be most likely the destiny for this child. I was let out later that day. And as I mentioned last time, you'd, you'd, you'd think and hope that I had learned my lesson, but I hadn't. The first thing I thought about was getting high. And I tried to reach out to score some dope and nobody would take my call. And the reason nobody would take my call is the only reason a drug dealer gets out of jail like that is if he rats on somebody. And so that's what everybody assumed must have taken place. And nobody wanted anything to do with me. That devastating detail in the moment turned out to be part of the miracle because that day would begin almost 10 years of sobriety and a beautiful 10-year period with a lot of beautiful things that happened during that time. But anyway, let's just pick up there. So I get out. My parents are going to allow me to come stay at their place and my it was my girlfriend at the time who was pregnant uh was allowed to stay there as well and we showed up surprised and they gave us a bedroom to stay in and that's where it started um there was a lot of anger there was a lot of mental illness we were fighting it was it was kind of ugly it was ugly it was exciting it was it was just a crazy time. Um, shortly after, we moved into a 400-square-foot barn. Uh, and that's where we would stay for about the next year. And I was going to outpatient treatment. The judge, you know, gave me house, you know, an ankle monitor, outpatient treatment, um, AA meetings every day. And that's what my focus was, you know. And, um, and I knew I wanted to try to start getting healthy and start working out again. I uh, met a guy in AA and he said to meet him at the local city college track. And I thought, all right, you know, I, I mean, I hadn't done anything active in years. I mean, I would drive a block to the store to get cigarettes. Um, but anyway, I met him there. He said, let's do some laps around the track. And I remember it really, really clear. I mean, the first lap, I was exhausted. The second lap, I started to feel ill. And after the third lap, I was throwing up, literally throwing up off to the side of the track. I was, I was spinning. Um, that was it for that day. And it was it was a three-quarters of a mile. That's what three laps around the track is. Um my baby's mom had gained a hundred pounds during the pregnancy. You know, she was an underweight meth addict and then food became kind of, uh, you know, an escape. It was the replaced drugs and alcohol for food. She gained a hundred pounds. It was the most weight that most of the nurses had seen during anybody's pregnancy. We got a membership to YMCA um, and we started going, you know, and we got into it and we got into it. Um, baby shows up. It's a miracle baby. The police are in the waiting room, waiting to take the baby, assuming there's going to be drugs in the baby system. And there wasn't. And we have the baby in the 400 square foot barn, start taking her to the YMCA. They have a child care program. And that became kind of the, the rotation. It was like, even if we didn't want to work out, we needed the two-hour break from the child. We were still working on our mental, you know, mental illness, medications, outpatient treatment, exercise, you know, just really trying to, trying to find a path that could work. Um, we were doing that for a while. And there, like I said, there was anger and fighting and, it was, you know, we had been in that other world for a long time, long time. And baby's mom was 
really struggling. You know, there was postpartum, which we anticipated, you know, trying to change, you know, get the medications right, just coming off, just so much going on that we, we anticipated that there'd be issues. And it just was something really seemed off. It, it was really difficult. Um, whatever we were trying, it just seemed like it wasn't working and it seemed like it was getting worse. And finally, we just decided we needed to go see if the doctor could change the medication or do something um, to help. We went to the doctor and I remember seeing a couple people in the waiting room that I knew said, we're in there, you know, my girl's not feeling that great. See the doctor. It was a long delay. After a long delay, he comes back in and he says, looks at us and he says, sit down. Felt a little weird. And he said, well, the good news is you're halfway there. And I'll never forget. I said, halfway to what? He said, you're 20 weeks pregnant. We were speechless. 20 weeks pregnant. What are you talking about? And as it turned out, we thought it was hormones and all of these things. But six weeks after Izzy was born, she got pregnant. And because she had gained so much weight with the first pregnancy, we didn't notice, you know, she was losing weight. Um, but she still had a lot of extra weight on her body and found out that we were 20 weeks pregnant, halfway there. And I remember walking out and I saw one of those people that I recognized and, and they said, what are you here for? And I said, we just found out we're 20 weeks pregnant. And the girl like couldn't believe it because she's like, are you kidding me? She's like, I just got pregnant. These have been the worst three weeks of my life. She was so sick. She's like, how could you make it 20 weeks without knowing? And 11 months later, we had our second child. 11 months after the first one, um, our little boy Rocco showed up on the scene. So we're less than a year sober. We have two kids. And, uh, or no, we're, we're a little over a year sober and we have two kids. We're trying to get it all figured out. We're trying to get it together. Um, and it was pretty challenging, but at this point we're we're really trying to domesticate ourselves. We're trying to do the family thing. We're trying to pull off this new life. And we started exploring different churches and religions. Um, my kid's mom was raised very Catholic strict environment. She rebelled against that. I was traumatized from my religious upbringing. So we were looking for other things. We went to the synagogue. We said, how do you become Jewish? What does it mean if you're Jewish? We went to Unity Church. We went to the Unitarian Church. We went non-denominational church, Presbyterian church. Um, we went to the Buddhist center. Let's see, what else did we do? I don't know. I think we figured out that we went to eight or nine churches and temples. Um, and I was continuing to work out, and I was running with a local running group, and one day... You know, we did this run at 5.30 a.m. through these hills in a place called Hope Ranch, Santa Barbara. And uh, there were some really cool guys that were in the group that used to ask me about my kids. And I thought it was pretty weird that they would ask me about my kids because most guys I knew, you know, just talking about other girls, not asking you how your relationship is or how your kids are doing. Um, so it was really a nice, pleasant innocent feeling friendships that I was starting to create. And I remember one day I, I asked these two guys that I ran with regularly and I said, Hey, you guys don't know a place that focuses on God, health and family. 
And I remember one of them kind of snickering and looking at the other one. And they said, yeah, we do. And uh, turns out one of them was a bishop of Mormon church. And the other one was a stake president of the Mormon church, which if you know anything about the LDS faith, you'll understand why that question of asking if I knew of a place with health, family, and church um, would be like teeing it up for them, for the missionary efforts that the church makes. And they said, yeah, they were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they told me a bunch of cool stuff about it. And um, it sounded great to me, mostly because of the relationship I had with these guys. I looked forward to seeing them. I really felt good around them. Um, I went home and told my wife and, and I said, hey, you want to check out this church, the Mormon church? And she said, oh, hell no. And I was like, why? She goes, those people are recruiters. I was like, I don't know, I know these cool guys. She wasn't interested, no matter what I said. So I continued running with these guys. I told them that my my girl wasn't interested. And um, one day we were doing a 10-mile run. It was like an event down at the beach. And uh, I finished running the event, and I ran over. And my wife was over there, and she was talking to some lady. And... Uh, she said, hey, Chad, I want to introduce you to Don. And she said the last name. And I said, hey, that's, um, I run with Mark, same last name. And she goes, that's my husband. And my wife was like, what? Because they had invited, you know, this guy and his wife had invited us for dinner. My wife wasn't interested in going to dinner. She said she was going to get cornered. Um, she didn't want to get cornered at dinner. But she knew this lady from her spin class at the YMCA. And she goes, Don's not Mormon because Don didn't fit any of the stereotypes that she had of the Mormon church. Anyway, that was the opening. And um, that got us to church. And we went to church. And they, that day, were just coming back from a, um, these kids were just coming back from a, a pilgrim trek or something like that where they they um, mimic you know what the families did when they were crossing the plains with the hand carts and things like that and all these young kids were getting up on the on the podium and sharing their experiences and their love for their family and the love for the experience they just had and these kids were talking so intelligently and with love and their heart I was like, if this church is creating kids like that, I mean, this, that it's good for me, you know, because I had no idea how to be a parent or what to do for my kids. Um, we started attending church. We started going to the events, and we started going through some of the ordinances that you do, and we eventually got baptized and sealed in the temple, in the Los Angeles temple. And... I remember the experience as a pretty amazing experience. We had five kids within six years. It was just baby after baby, and the church was super supportive of that, and we were living a new life, and I was growing a business and, and exercising, and now I had done a half marathon, um, and I eventually did a marathon from that three laps where I was throwing up. Now I was running marathons, and I had these kids. Um, life's, life was good. Business was growing. Things were getting clearer for me. Uh, we moved a bunch of times during that process. And eventually, um, we were able to buy the house. You know, we got bought our own house on the hill. Ocean views, you know, on an acre in Santa Barbara with fruit trees and we went through, we started remodeling it and terracing it, and we had a vision for it. And we built an amazing home with multiple structures on there. We put two shipping containers together and 
cut the walls off and put glass in the front, had ocean views and a porch, and it was super cool. Like, we were doing some cool things. Raising these kids, living on a cool property, in a great town, connected to an amazing church, had an amazing support system. It could, life couldn't have been better. Um, now, our second child was missing some milestones, but the doctors just kept saying that he was delayed. And so we just kept going with that. And we had so many kids and they were so young. And I mean, we had five car seats at one time. We had to get a specially made car seat just so we could fit three in one of the rows. And we had to get a, a you know, a, a vehicle that had a third row. We had five car seats. And then um, I did a half Ironman. And then I signed up for an Ironman. And... My wife and I went to Florida, Ironman, Florida, and 12 and a half hours later, I crossed the line. They said, Chad Ratliff, you are an Ironman. I just couldn't believe it. Like, wow, the body can really heal. I mean, I was a junkie. I was a junkie, smoked two packs of cigarettes a day. Chad Ratliff, you are an Ironman. I had tears welling up. My body was shot at that point. It was pretty amazing. And then our fifth child, little baby Blue, she started missing some milestones. At this point, our second child was diagnosed with autism and intellectual disability. And he was really low functioning. I mean, he would eat his own feces. He'd put his hands in his pants and wipe feces on the wall and on his face. I mean, he was really low functioning. It was difficult. Um, going through the challenges of, you know, that mourning the child you thought you were going to have and just the challenges of raising a special needs child. So it was like all these different being embarrassed and uh, wondering what we did wrong. And, you know, did was it, it didn't make sense. It should have been the first baby that was had these special needs because that's when we were using drugs, but we were healthy by the set. You know, it was just all these questions, all these things. But then the fifth baby started missing milestones and my wife, you know, just to jump to the chase. I mean, she cracked. I think that basically she realized, she felt like she wasn't going to be able to handle another child with special needs that extreme. Um, and, and, and I was working so many hours. I was just, I felt like I had so much to prove. I wanted to make a lot of money. I wanted to show that I was able to afford, you know, all of these things in my wife's family. Very wealthy, old, old, old money. I mean, they were issued the first land grant in California history called the Dominguez. The land grant was called the Dominguez. And our kid's middle name was Dominguez um, because I thought it was such a cool piece of history. But anyway, yeah, they're old, old money. And um, yeah, it was, it was, um, so I wanted to prove to everybody that like, I didn't need their money. I could make it on our own. I'm working 15 hour days. I was probably, I was too focused on the business and making money. When I look back, I realized I really like left her as kind of a single parent. Uh, I was so busy at trying to prove myself and we had enough of everything. Um, when I look back, you know, it's definitely something I would do different if I was in that situation again, or if you could go back, but you can't. Um, but that fifth child missing those milestones, she cracked. And one day, um, one day she came home loaded. Nine years and 11 months of sobriety, she showed up loaded and I was devastated. I mean, I kicked her out right away. I just couldn't believe it. I did not see it coming. It was so 
scary to me to see her under the influence. I was, we were in that new life. Um, and she was calling me, trying to get back in the house. And I just was so confused and so angry. And, and I made her stay out. And then she called again, like a day or two later, and she was wasted again. And shit went down really fast went down really fast um one thing i forgot to mention was you know right before she relapsed i had this opportunity to buy a business called moms in motion and the reason it was important to me was one i felt we were uniquely qualified you know to create a fitness business for moms having a mom who had five kids within six years of age and two respect you know and who had gained a hundred pounds and then had lost it and was in great shape. I felt like there was, and this business had international um, expansive power. And I just had, I had this picture of me building a billion dollar company. You know, I was in that mind frame. I wanted to show the world what I could do, what we could do. Um, and I started letting the other business, the lifestyle business, making a few hundred thousand a year, able to go on vacation, work when I wanted to. And I started letting that go because this other deal was, was going to be the billion dollar play. It was going to be the unicorn. And um, I worked for about seven months, you know, didn't make a penny on it, restructuring the business. The business had been around since 1989. It was a mom and husband who started it. And um, they just were never able to turn it into what they thought it could be. And I had some visions for it. And, and I restructured the business a bit and did it in a way where the husband, the original founder, um, he noticed what I was doing and he thought it was super cool and he thought it was inspiring. And, and he said, wow, I can see how this could actually go somewhere. And he was a guy who had a had a owned a owns a gym. Um, he was in great shape. He had been around the business for a long time. He had a, a degree from a prestigious college. And he was interested. And he asked if he could continue being part of it because he saw the potential. And I thought, well, that would be great because I I always liked I always wanted to be the most successful guy nobody ever heard of. Um, and I thought, wow, this guy, he's a good looking guy. He's got the fitness background. He's got the degree. I don't have any of that. You know, he'd be a good face for the company. So I thought it was cool. And I thought we'd work together. And I found an investor through my church. Um, and about eight months later, we were able to, you know, get the company valued at around a million dollars. Um we got investment. The investment came in, and this is when we were going to start getting paid, um, at least enough to support my family. That I was since I was letting the other business just kind of go because it wasn't interesting to me anymore. And within two months, I got fired, which I didn't even know was possible. But the guy, the original founder who we said was the CEO and I was like the COO, he fired me and he said he had talked with the investor who was supposed to be my contact. And anyway, it was devastating. I was dumbfounded. I didn't even think they could legally do that. But the point was I didn't have access to the bank accounts. I had let the other business go where it was falling fast and I didn't think I was going to be able to salvage it. And now I didn't have enough money. The, the investor guy was a, a billionaire guy, cutthroat dude who had a team of attorneys and was kind of known for, you know, hustling people out of their companies and then, you know, uh, uh, smothering them in court so that they couldn't really do anything about it. And I knew I just wasn't going to be able to 
to do anything. And I remember telling my wife about the situation and I saw the fear in her eyes. And this is right before she relapsed. And I think that this had, this participated, the fifth kid missing the milestones and then the fear about business and finances. And she said, what did you do? And I said, I, you know, I, I, I didn't know I did anything. You know, but um, I definitely let the other business go. Um, and I did not see this one coming. And now she's relapsed. I kicked her out of the house. She wants back in. And it turns into a shit show real fast. Now, you know, trying to get back in. Police are getting called. The kids are nervous. It was... Um, it was pretty ugly. And then um, I think she realized how much my, my wife realized kind of where we were. And she goes to her dad and basically says that I'm this abusive monster. And next thing you know, the police show up, handcuff me for supposedly beating her up, um, takes me to jail. And I, I'll, I mean, I remember that night in jail. I mean, it just, I had been to jail many times, but I did not anticipate being in jail again, and especially under these circumstances. By the time I got out of jail, all the bank accounts had been closed. All the money had been pulled out of it. There was a restraining order on me. I wasn't allowed back into the house. I wasn't allowed to see the kids. The kids were underneath the restraining order. And I had no ability to afford representation. I was homeless. I was homeless with no access to any money. And I held up for, I think, about a month before. I just couldn't take it anymore. And I started using again. And I started shooting dope again. I'm homeless. My Cadillac got repoed. She stopped paying for anything that had anything to do with me. I bought some shitty car. Now I'm living at the side of the road, shooting dope, not seeing my kids and life. Within six months, we had lost everything that it took 10 years to build. Um... And it was super ugly. I'm trying to contact her, trying to talk with her. And she was playing me. Um, she allowed me to come back and stay in one of the other units on our property. And then I wake up the next morning to the police. You know, she set me up. And now I got a violation of restraining order. I ended up picking up 19 charges during that time period. Um, and life was out of control. And I'm living on the side of the road, this, this road called Old San Marcos Highway in Santa Barbara. It's this windy road that goes up this mountain, beautiful views, and I'm living at one of the turnoffs. And I have Rocco, my severely special needs son, because my wife and her family won't really recognize him. He's too difficult, he has too severe of special needs. They, they weren't into him. The one time that they did have him, they placed him in a home in another town. Um, and it, I had to get him out. Anyway, um, that goes on for, you know, six months. And then I get a phone call one day from um, Child Welfare Services. And they said, Chad Ratliff? I said, yes. They said, this is so-and-so from Child Welfare Services. They said, um, we have been investigating the mother of your children, and she is unfit to have the children. The children are at school right now, but they will not be allowed to go home with her after school. Do you have a place for them to stay? And I'm living at the side of the road. I mean, I'm, I'm at the place where I was staying. Staying on old San Marcos Highway on the side of the road with my special needs son in the back. And um, 
And I said, yes, I do. And they said, okay, well, you need to meet us at the kids' school at 3.30, and then we're going to follow you back to your place, um, and, and we'll talk to you more about how things are going to go from there. And I hung up the phone, and I was... I don't know, maybe it was instinctual, it was divinely inspired. And I called this guy from my church and I had stopped going to church for a while now. And I called this guy from my church who I, a young guy who was cool, I connected with him. And I told him what had just happened and I told him where I was living. And he said, hey, let me call you right back. And he calls me back in 10 minutes and he says, can you meet? my wife, you know, in 10 minutes over at such and such a place. And I said, sure, why, what's up? He said, just meet her there. I meet her. She has me follow her to this little town just outside of Santa Barbara, about 25 minutes out. And she walks up to me with the keys to this condo. It was a two bedroom, 900 square foot condo, town home. And she said, here you go. And I said, what? And I said, I have no money. And she said, it's okay, we'll figure it out. She goes, our tenant surprisingly moved out a few weeks ago. And she goes, she, all she left was a coffee table and a rug. So that's the only thing that's in there, but the place is yours. And I like, I couldn't believe it. I mean, all these thoughts and all these emotions and I'm, I have to meet child welfare services. I have no furniture in there. My kids haven't seen me in a while. Like, oh my gosh, this is great. How did this happen? How did I get this? I meet at the kids' school. The kids walk out. They're so excited to see me. They don't know why. And then they hear that they're not going back to their mom's house. And I remember how confused. They just look so confused. They look so confused. And I'm telling child welfare service, I said, hey, we just, I just moved, so I don't have all the furniture in yet. I mean, I'm trying to make up some story that's going to make us showing up to a place with nothing in it sound okay. And child welfare services followed us out to this place called Carpinteria. And that night, my kids and I slept on the floor in this carpeted room. We got a couple sleeping bags. And that started, that was about five years ago. And that started the journey, me and my kids. So um, our church helped us furnish the place. Four kids shared one bedroom. My severely special needs kid had the other bedroom because he'd be up all night screaming. And I slept out in the living room. We lived there for about a year. Um, the kid's mom would try to have visits. She wouldn't show up. She'd leave them hanging at the corner of the road. Then she had to have supervised visits. It had to be at her mom's house. It was just always, it was always trouble. It was always a problem. And it always ended up hurting the kids. Um, that lasted for about a year. And then right before COVID hit, I had met this girl and she's like, you look like you could use a friend. And I had, I felt like I had nobody. Um, you know, I had the people from my church. I started going back to church. I started reconnecting with church. And, you know, we were running out of, I was trying to keep my kids in the same school 30 minutes away. We're running out of gas. I have no money. I get on welfare, food stamps, the whole deal. I mean, it was, it was a shit show. Um, but we were together and my kids and I, we started getting close, but it was hard, you know, I was broke. And now I'm trying to get healthy again. I'm trying to get clean again. Um, and right before COVID hit that girl who said, you look like you could use a friend. We kind of ended up falling for each other and she lets us move in to her Montecito 5,000 square foot home on an acre in Montecito, which was just unheard of. I mean, she had two kids within the same six-year period. So we had seven kids within six years of age. And we figured out how to make it work. And she was really an angel. I mean, um, COVID shut everything down a week later. And 
we lived there for two years. And I'll never know how to thank my girlfriend now and her family for what they did for us. I don't think we would have made it. I don't think I would have made it without her. I was kind of relapsing and I, I, I was struggling to deal with things. And we moved in there and I started healing and I started studying. I started these spiritual paths and I started meditating and I started um, studying, meditating, breathing exercises and extra fitness and like I was gonna, I, wa I wanted to do something different. You know, I was at the edge of the cliff. I looked back, I realized my kids, I was their only chance that if I don't make it, they're gonna get split up in the foster system. Nobody's gonna take all five special needs. And I'm trying to get divorced and my soon to be ex's family who are billionaires are like transferring title to the home into other names and paying it off so that I would get no part of it. They're trying to make my soon-to-be ex judgment proof. So she owes $200,000 in child support and is not paying for anything. And, and, and our rentals on the property generate 15 grand a month. And I was so angry, I was so angry. And this is before I really started all this studying and meditation, I was so angry. I just couldn't get past it. Like, how could this be? But I couldn't afford representation. I couldn't afford an attorney. And they had three attorneys and they were doing all this shady stuff, but they were covering it because they had attorneys and they knew I couldn't do anything about it. And they, um, you know, this is four and a half years later, me telling you this story and I'm still not divorced yet. Um, and they would have cleaned my clock a long time ago, except their daughter the parents even signed on to the divorce. I didn't even know that was possible. So now it's the mom and the parents because they're trying to steal the house because we ended up needing them to qualify for the financing for the house because we couldn't qualify for the financing when we got the house. So even though we did all the remodels and we paid for all the remodels and we paid for the mortgage, they signed the financing for the mortgage. And now they're trying to say that they were that we were all 25% on. It's just all this stuff. And it was like, how are you not asking how the kids are doing? Why, how are you not, you know, like we were struggling to survive and they were trying to get more of the house. It was really, I couldn't get past it. And I was so angry. And my girlfriend was like, you're going to lose everything. You're going to lose me. You're going to, you need to stop being angry. Like, we have what we need. The kids are doing better. You've never been closer with the kid. Like you gotta drop that situation. And and then one day, like everything lined up right. Like I read the right book, I listened to the right podcast, I I did the right meditation, and like everything started lining up. And and I heard this thing, and they said that, you know, like life and movies, they're the same characters. I think I heard this from Donald Miller, who does uh, Business Made Simple or something. He says, like life is like movies. The characters are the same. There's victims, villains, um, uh, you know, heroes and guides. And long story short there, he said, the victims never grow. They never evolve. And I realized, like, I was playing the victim that whole time. Look at me, single dad, five kids within six years of age and two with special needs. I had that story down. Everybody felt bad for me, but I was angry and I wasn't growing. It was the same story, the same thing day after day, all day. I'm me thinking about the same thing. And I realized that. And then I realized the hero is a weaker character that has this like mountain to summit. And I realized my hero's journey was right in front of me. It was these kids. I didn't have to go looking for it. It was right there. All I had to do was embrace it. I think I read The High Five Habit by Mel Robbins. And that talked about the RAS and how the RAS is this thing inside of us that doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's fake. Just like dreams. You know how you can wake up all agitated from a dream, you know, uh, that didn't necessarily happen. Um, 
that's a whole nother story. But anyway, you can wake up and you thought you were falling, but you'll be sweating, but you weren't actually falling or so you thought. And, and it says the RAS tries to give you, show you in life, whatever it thinks is important to you. So whatever you're thinking about or talking about on a regular basis, it thinks that that's what's important to you. So it's going to give you more of that. So when I was talking about this story and being angry, it showed me more reasons to be angry about the story. So there was that, you know, and then I found the self-realization fellowship and I got into meditation and then, you know, I found Wim Hof and I found Dr. Joe Dispenza and I got to go to a retreat and all these things started lining up. And at the edge of the cliff, I realized, no, I'm going this other way. And I started this journey of meditation and breathing and showing up for my kids and and getting rid of the old story, which is why this is the last time I'm going to tell this story. And my kids started healing, like their grades were getting better. And they started finding after school activities. And we had never been closer in life, started getting really, really, really beautiful. And the less I would talk about the divorce and all that stuff, the better I would get along with my girlfriend and the closer I would get with my kids and the more life would start to present all the things that I needed and more. Um, and that's kind of what birthed this whole Naked Parent podcast thing, you know, because single dad with these five kids, I had fallen into every trap that you can fall, you know, depression and addiction and nasty divorce. Like I'm uniquely qualified to help parents raising special needs children through a lot of the adversity that you can fall into um and it's really like it really started giving me a purpose um my girlfriend had cancer and i'd help her i helped her through cancer and she helped me through this divorce situation and um i continued practicing my meditation and continued getting healthy and creating this new path uh and life's like been getting brighter and brighter and brighter every day I, and then I go to court and I see the lies and the deception and the and the the lack of compassion and empathy and consideration for the kids. And I get riled up and it's like that's been happening like a yo-yo. It's just less and less and less. But it still kind of like gets me. Um, but the my kid's mom, she kept making mistakes. She kept failing drug tests. She kept not showing up and that kept the court case open. Otherwise they would have had everything and cleaned my clock a long time ago. And as of today, whatever today is just, just into April, April 3rd, um, you know, the, we got a trial set for June and I think something will come out of it that'll benefit you know, my ability to, you know, provide a better home or something for my children. Because eventually we moved out of my girlfriend's house. It was just too much, too many kids. She's working on selling the house. Her father passed away. Um, so we're in this very expensive, small rental. And, you know, and, and I believe there's a better living arrangement ahead. But we have everything that we want today. And all I have to do is continue studying Dr. Joe Dispenza, Michael Singer, Rudolf Steiner, Yogananda, um, you know, Donald Miller was that guy I was telling you about, Mark Allen, Napoleon Hill, like these are the people that are behind the Naked Parent podcast, that are behind Naked Parenting, that are behind this way of living that has totally transformed everything for me. And I learned about life in a completely different way, and I can't wait to share that path with you all. After I get done with this third part of the story, then we're gonna start focusing on the solution. We're gonna start focusing on the culmination of all of these amazing people that have brought amazing information, techniques, and wisdom, and the combination and how it's melded into me as an individual who is so passionate 
about my kids and so passionate about helping other parents that I think it's just going to be an amazing journey building Naked Parent Nation, building out this pathway for people who either want to pick pieces of it or who are looking for a, a whole pathway. It's not the only way, but it's a way that works. And it's a way that reintroduces life the way I really believe it is. And it's changed everything for me and my kids. And I believe that the future for our kids not only is way better because of us being healthier parents and how that will help their futures be better. But I believe there's power in some of these things that we're doing. And I believe we're going to change the world. I believe that we can open up our hearts together and heal people in other locations. I mean, there's real magic alive and available for us to learn and bring in to our families and into our lives. Um, so I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of wanting to be done with this story. And yes, the, uh, the, the trial is coming up in June. And, and no, we didn't get my quote unquote fair share. But I have everything I need today. And if nothing comes from that, it's totally okay. We're, we're in a perfect place today. And I want to continue this podcast and continue building this family, this community of people that believe in something bigger, that believe in better, that believe in amazing, that believe in magic. And that's what we're going to do. And so I'm going to put this show to bed right now. I'm going to thank you all for listening as much as you have. I'm going to apologize for the flow of it, anywhere that it's confusing, the all over the placeness of it, because I'm just growing as a, as a, a thinker, writer, speaker, leader. I'm developing these skills right now. And I'm, I'm choosing to go for it rather than wait till I'm good enough to go for it. So feel free to critique or let me know how we can do this better or better yet. Just join in, participate, become part of this new way of life, this new way of living, this new tomorrow that we're building for our, for our children. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that's where it is. You all, the people in Naked Parent Nation, the hundreds of interviews that I've been able to do have been instrumental in helping me refine my inner power, my inner strength, and helping me realize who I am and what I want to do. And I'm excited about it. And, and starting next week, we're going to start talking about the message. We're going to start, you know, putting together the pathway for naked parenting, for what that is, for what that means. And we're going to strip away all of the bullshit that's got us all lost and confused. And we're going to get down to the real truth of who we are and what we're capable of. And we're going to change the lives for ourselves, for our families, for our children. And we're going to start to put real life magic into, into real life together as a family and a community where we can be happy every day, all day, where we can feel good every day, all day. That's real. It's real. Like we don't have to be depressed. We don't have to be working a grind. We don't have to be struggling. We don't have to be broke. There's a way for all of that. And it's all going to come together as a part of the Naked Parent Pathway. And I'd love for you to participate at whatever level you'd like to. You can pick little pieces. You can take the whole deal. But join us and become part of it. We're going to have weekly support groups. 
We're going to have online courses. We're going to have weekly meditations. We're going to be developing chapters in other communities. There's going to be ways where you can make money around putting your family first. It's going to be super exciting, and I'm super grateful to be in this position today. I want to thank all the higher powers that be, all the people that had love and opened their heart to help me heal and that help my kids. And I look forward to the next part of the journey. I love y'all. Until then. This concludes our show for today. And I'd like to personally thank you for spending the time with us on a topic near and dear to our hearts. If you'd like to be part of the Naked Parent Nation and help us reach those parents that are struggling and overwhelmed, there's no better way to help than by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show on iTunes. iTunes highlights the shows based on these metrics, and the more the show gets highlighted, the more opportunities people will have to be introduced to the show where they can hear that message of hope or that tip that can change everything. So follow the link in our show notes And we hope to have you back here tomorrow where we'll do it again. From the team here at the Naked Parent Podcast, we wish you the life you've always dreamed of and then some. So long.